0: Well, I hope you have all had a, a nice Christmas week. I spent a lot of time with my in-laws in Sacramento, which is, is actually fun for me. I know some people don't enjoy their in-laws for some reason, but I have, I have great, great family. Dallas' family is really great, and so we just had, had a really, really nice Christmas, ate a lot of food, and played a lot of games. And we sang a lot of Christmas carols, so it was a good, it was a really good Christmas time. Uh, one of the things I love about this time of year is I get some extra time for reading, uh, and so I was really excited to to catch up on some reading that I wanted to do. I worked through this great novel called Olive Again. Uh, it's by Elizabeth Strout, and and as I was reading this, just uh, this, this really jumped out to me. The the main character Olive. Kittred, she's, she's wrestling with old age and, and the reality of her not-too-far-off death. And she says at one point in the book, uh, it, was, it was almost over, after all, her life. It swelled behind her like a sardine fishing net, all sorts of useless seaweed and broken bits of shells and the tiny, shining fish. All those hundreds of students she had taught, the girls and boys in high school she had passed in the corridor when she was a high school girl herself. Many, most, would be dead by now. The billion streaks of emotion she'd had as she'd looked at sunrises, sunsets, the different hands of waitresses who had placed before her cups of coffee, all of it gone or about to go. So after all the Christmas cheer we've had <laughs> this week, these might feel like some somber thoughts uh, as, as, we're ta- as we're reading about somebody who's reflecting on the end of their lives, and and, and I recognize that. I, I, I know we still have our Christmas decorations and our candles up, and it still feels warm and fuzzy, but uh, I want... I, I want to recognize or, or acknowledge that, that in myself and in you, this is, as, as we move past Christmas and we're coming up on New Year's, it's a time of year when many of us start to look back and reflect on the year and, and evaluate, you know, how did this year, how did it go? Did, did I achieve the goals that I set for myself? Did I keep the resolutions that I made? Did my, did my faith in Jesus deepen this year? Did, did I live the kind of life that I wanted to live in, in 2019? And if you're like me, you probably would answer with something like, kind of, <laughs> kind of, sort of. Um, I, I, for me, there, there are things that I wish, some of them I wish had gone a little differently, or I had done things a little differently. I wish, uh, for instance, I wish I had spent less time on my phone, right? I wish I had spent less time on my phone and phone and more time uh, reading my Bible, more time with my family, more time with you, uh, with my church family. I wish that that I didn't you know, give in to temptation so easy, right? like things I know better why why, why am I so easily uh, just prone to do things that I know I shouldn't do? I wish that I was a more consistent person, right? not just so up and down all the time, and I'm really the list of things that I wish for this year is it's pretty long as I look back and you know this this feels really silly, but as I look. Into 2020, I'm going to turn 40 in, in next year, <laughs> and and I started to think down the road a little bit. I mean, I read this book about this, and it's a novel, but she's just reflecting on the end of her life. And I was, I had a lot of moments reading this book, going, "Man, that's that's not that far away, right? It's a lot closer than I used to think it was." And and there's going to be a point at which I'll look back, not just on my year. But on my whole life, and, and there won't be much left to live. So so I know it sounds pretty dire right now, <laughs> but here's what I would like for us to do today, is that before we move into the new year, before we move into our season of new goals and new resolutions and bright, shiny hope that we have for what is to come, I would like us to look back over our year of 2019 and, and just just be honest uh, as we do that as we reflect and and to think about what are the things that didn't go that well, what are the things that have left a mark? what are the things that that you are grieving, what are the things that you're looking forward from moving on from as we as we go ahead and and I want us to take all of those things as we reflect on them and and look at them in the light of who is Jesus and what has he done for us in in the gospel. So once again, as I often do, it's it's a Psalm uh, Psalm ninety that will help us give voice to this reflection and naming these things and uh, and acknowledging our pain before God as we look back over our years. So we're going to read Psalm ninety. If you're using one of the Bibles from the table in the back, it's pages four ninety six and four ninety seven. And the verses will also be up on the screen. Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight, establish the work of our hands. This is God's word. Let's pray once more. Father, we confess our need for you this morning that as we reflect on our year, there are many things that we have done and not done that we should not have and should have. And, and we confess that before you. And we Receive in uh, and, and are thankful for the pardon that we have in Jesus for the forgiveness that we have in jesus and I pray that that you would help us to uh, to to be able to acknowledge these these things in in the past that have not gone the way that we wanted them to, but to look at them in light of the gospel and as we look ahead. Would, would we look ahead in hope, not in our own willpower or our own strength or our own abilities, but in, in you, Jesus? And would you show us the way through your word? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to walk through this passage with four points. A short life, a harsh reality, an unfailing love, and a new life. During, during this week between Christmas and, and New Year's, has there been a point at which you've thought, I don't even know what day it is, right? Like you've, you've, you've been off work probably, your routine is different, especially when Christmas falls in the middle of the week and you're like, is it Friday? Is it Thursday? I don't even know what day it is right now. And it's been kind of nice just to take, take some time off work, break up the routine, relax, relax and and one of the ways you know you're resting is when you don't know what day it is that's always a good <laughs> that's always a good sign like you've broken up your your rut to the to the point that you don't know what day it is but now What's happening, right? It's Sunday, and, and we have another holiday coming up, but like things are starting to they're starting to move back toward normal. And you're like, uh, tomorrow's a Monday, and a lot of us have to go to work tomorrow. Um, and, and so we're just getting confronted with the reality of the end of the break, that our time off is almost up, and we're going to have to jump back into the routine, and, and we won't forget what day it is, because we'll have a bunch of stuff that we have to do. On those days. And you know that feeling you get. It's like every Sunday night when you're a kid, right? You have to go back to school or your summer vacation is ending. You know that feeling that you have like it's slipping away. Uh, and, and the time is so short and you can't, almost can't enjoy the end of your time before it restarts because you know how short that time is. And we get a sense of this shortness of time running out here in Psalm 90, but rather than, than just a week off or a vacation, Moses, the author, he's giving us a sense of the shortness of our entire lives. He's talking about our whole lives. He's measuring his life and our lives against the eternal God. He's saying, saying, look at who you are. And you're, you're from the beginning, and you will be here after the end. And he's seeing just how brief and how momentary his life is. And, and when you're young, you hear people say things like this all the time. They, they talk to you. Uh, You know, when you're in high school and when you're in college, oh, just enjoy these years. You have all the freedom and you have all these choices. Just enjoy this part of your life. And you're like, okay, fine, I'll whatever. I don't know what you're talking about. It's just my life. I hate high school. Uh, and And then you hear people... Uh, you know, when you have kids, right? Your kids are young and everybody tells you, just enjoy every moment you have with your kids because they're going to be gone before you know it. And you're like, that's fine. I'm ready. Yeah, they can be, I'm ready. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, maybe you're in the prime of your physical health and, and, you know, just just get do everything you can because when you're my age, you won't be able to get out of bed in the morning without like, you know, nine ice packs, and you're like, "Oh, that's that sounds terrible." Um, and then, and then maybe you start, you get a real job. You're not working at a retail place anymore, and not knocking retail at all. But I'm just, I'm just trying to use an illustration here. Um, and and you, so you move into maybe a career that you want, and you start making enough money, and the place you work is like, "Hey, you can." Um, you can set aside money for retirement and everyone tells you, do it as early as you can. You got to get that money in there because when you get older, Social Security is not going to be enough for you. And, and when you're young, all that stuff just sounds ridiculous. Like, no, I'm keeping all my money. I made that money. I'm not going to put it away somewhere um, because you feel like you have so much time. You can deal with it later. You can, you can figure that thing out Later, whatever it is that you need to figure out. But what Moses is showing us in Psalm 90 is that that as he looks back on his life, as he faces the end of his own time, he sees my life has gone by so quickly. My life has gone by so fast. And he says, For God, time is is irrelevant, or time is different than it is for us, because God is eternal. He doesn't have a beginning. He doesn't have an end. He says in verse 2, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You're the same. There's There's no end of things for you. There's no winding down of things in the beginning of something else. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God, and you will always be God. But the same is not true of us, of people, he says in verse four, for a thousand years in your sight, they're they're as but yesterday when it's passed, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream, like grass that's renewed in the morning, in the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and the evening it fades and withers. And what Moses is saying is, even if we lived a thousand years, even if you lived a thousand years you're like Methuselah, the oldest guy you know in, in the Bible, almost lives a thousand years. Moses says it would still be like one day in the light of god 's eternity, and that even if you did live a thousand years it 's too short, and it 's gone like Like a dream. And and many of us think, man, if I just had an extra day in the week or an extra hour in the day, I could get all the stuff done or I could do all the things that I needed to do. But, But Moses is showing us that even if you lived a thousand years, your life would still feel too short and it would feel like it was gone like a dream. And so in recognizing and acknowledging how short our lives are, we're confronted, we're confronted with a harsh reality. And and as if realizing that our lives are short, they're like a breath. If if that's not harsh enough of a reality for you, Moses continues in verse 7, "For we, mankind, we're brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed." You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. And what Moses is teaching us here is that our real problem is not just that we have a short life. It's not just that we don't have that long to live. What what Moses says the real problem is for us is, is what we have done with our lives, with those short lives. We're not just dealing with the reality of how fast our lives go by. We're we're living with the reality of of looking around and going, things are just not the way they're supposed to be. In my life, in anybody else's life, or in, in all of the world, things are just messed up. They're not the way that they're supposed to be. And so in this short life, our fears, our regrets... Uh, that we've wasted the opportunities that we've been given, that we haven't met our potential, that we haven't done enough with the opportunities that we've been handed. They're ultimately all a result of the curse of sin. And here's where we need to go back and and remember the story of, of the man, what's going on in the life of Moses as he writes this. So, so, Probably most of us remember Moses is the leader of Israel. He, he leads them out of slavery uh, in Egypt, and he leads them to the doorstep of, of their new life in this land that God has promised the descendants of Abraham for hundreds of years. And now they're right on the cusp of moving into this new promised land. And they're so close. They're right there. So what is this? wrath and this anger that Moses is talking about. What we find out in the book of Numbers is that that here on the borders, on the doorstep of the land that God has promised them, this is where you're going to be. This is your inheritance. Uh, So Moses sends 12 spies, one man from each of the 12 tribes' Of Israel to to go in and and just get a feel for things, scope things out there, and so the spies come back from their mission, and and this is like the whole country is waiting to hear what happened, what did you see, what's our new home like? And ten of the spies report that the land it's it's amazing, it's wonderful, it's beautiful, it's lush, but the inhabitants, the people who live there, they're too strong, and they're too many, and they're too great. And so their, their, their fear is that, and what they tell the nation is, we're not going to be able to live there. We're not going to be able to go there because we'll be killed. Our children will be killed. And everything that God has done will amount to nothing. And so hearing this, the nation uh, rebels against Moses and they complain that God has led them into this fate worse than they had in Egypt, worse than slavery, and they vote to elect a leader who will lead them back to Egypt and, and so they can say, can we please come back into slavery? This would be better than being slaughtered in in this new land. And so at this point, there's two men, the two other spies, their, their names are Joshua and Caleb, and they step forward, and they say, if, if God has promised us this land, if he said this is the place that he wants us to be, then nothing can stop us. It doesn't matter how big they are or how many they are. We, we can take the land that God has given us. It's, it's his work. It's not our work and." And the people of Israel, they pick up stones. They're ready to kill Joshua and Caleb to silence them because they're afraid. They're afraid of of what is ahead of them. And, And this is the point at which God comes down into their midst. He descends into the midst of the people and he declares that he intends to destroy everyone. He's going to kill everyone. He's going to wipe them all out. He is tired of their complaining. But Moses prays, he begs God, please show mercy to your people. You don't want to wipe them all out, because then what's everyone going to say about you as a God? You'll be just like all these other gods that these people worship. You just wiped out your people. But, but what's the result of the rebellion here in Numbers 14? Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. So Moses, I will forgive the people. i pardon pardoned them. I'm not going to kill them, But truly, as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and the signs I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice, none of them shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despised me shall see it. God's word of judgment continues in verse 26. The Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron saying, How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and of all your number listed in the census From 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb and Joshua. But your little ones, who you said would become a prey, I will bring in, and they shall know the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years and shall suffer for your faithlessness." until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness. According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, a year for each day, you shall bear your iniquity, 40 years, and you shall know my displeasure. I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this will I do to all this wicked congregation who were gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall come to a full end, and there they shall die. So in light of this judgment, I mean, this is, this is a harsh consequence, right? They've sinned against God. They've rebelled against him. And, and they're, they're basically all, they don't get killed immediately, but they're sentenced to 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, just around the doorstep of where they were supposed to go. And he says, until all of you are dead, none of you no, no one's going to enter in, and none of you will see the land. It's only going to be your children. And so in the light of this judgment, this consequence of their sin, we feel the ache in Moses' voice as he pours out this lament, not just for him but for For the people of Israel, in verse 9, for all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. Moses is saying, we we blew it. And Moses is himself included in this because not, not for what he does in this story, but in another moment of anger, he rebels himself against God and even the leader of the people who who has been shown God's, God's glory in a way that no one else had ever seen, he is himself condemned to the same fate. You will not enter into this new land. And so Moses says we just have to live in the harsh reality of what we deserve, death and judgment and wilderness. And I think in just imagining the, the realization of that pain, like, this is it for us. It's not going to get any better than this. We'll never be able to enjoy what we could have enjoyed. I think in, in recognizing that pain and seeing it, I think we can get a sense or we can start to name some of the pain that we carry in our own lives, our own regrets. Because the truth is that, that, that like Moses, like the nation of Israel, we have all done the same thing. We've all blown it. We've, we've all taken what God has given us and we've, we've said, no, I don't want that. I want to go back into what I had before. And this is, this is the root of all sin, right? This is the root of sin in the garden. It's been the root of every sin until now. We've all wanted a good life apart from God. That's, that's what sin is. That's what rebellion is. But where has this gotten us? What's the end result of this? The harsh reality that we bring our years to an end like a sigh. And this is where the story should end. This is, this is the way things are supposed to work, right? You mess up. You pay the price. You get what you deserve. But, but thanks be to God. This is not the end of this story, and it's not the end of our story, because underneath our short lives, underneath the harsh reality of the consequences of our sin, lies an unfailing love. For Moses and the people of Israel, even, even as they lament, even as they grieve, there's something they could that they had to look forward to. There was something in front of them. Even as they looked back over the mess of their lives, bad decision after bad decision, even as they looked over that and, and the pain that they had caused. I don't, if you heard in, in that judgment that God gives them? He says, your children are going to suffer because of your faithlessness. What a painful consequence, right? That they, that they hear the lies that they believe. They also could look ahead, even in the midst of that, in the midst of this harsh reality, he'd given them a promise in Numbers 14.31, your little ones, the ones who you said would become a prey, the ones who you said would be killed, I will bring them in and they shall know the land that you have rejected. So even as they had to die in the consequences of their sins, the whole nation of people they had hope for not for themselves but but in the next generation and this is how Psalm 90 ends in hope for what is to come not not ultimately hope in how the next generation will perform but but for but a hope in God a hope in a love that's unfailing, a God who's faithful and steadfast. Moses keeps going in verse 13, return, O Lord, how long? Have pity, have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning. End this night of wilderness wandering. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Make us glad for as many years as we've been judged and afflicted, as many years as we've seen evil, make us glad for for the same amount of time, and let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. And I, I you just hear the yearning in in this prayer for something better, something different for, for, just saying, in spite of our sin, in spite of our rebellion, we look to you because we know you're faithful, where we've been faithless, you are faithful, and where we have rebelled, you have been steady and, and true, and your love is unfailing. How can they say this to, to the God who judged them, right? I mean, they're under the curse of their sin. They feel it. But they know, ultimately, God's love is unfailing. He hasn't forsaken them forever. And, and really, that's the story of God in all of the scriptures, his steadfast, faithful love that pursues us in spite of our sin. And so the hope of Israel, our hope is based on who God is, not what we have done. It's because of this unfailing love that you and I can look to the future, we can look to tomorrow, to 2020 with hope and, and we don't have to walk in the harsh reality of our, of, of our sin and the judgment that we deserve, but we get to walk in this gracious reality of a new life in Jesus. For Moses, for Israel, for Their hope is based on, we believe, we trust in God's promise that he will take the next generation into the promised land and he will continue to take care of them, just like he's taking care of us. In spite of our sin, in spite of our rebellion, uh, we believe that God's going to do this. So their hope has a basis on something God has said. Now, they, they look back and they see the consequences of their sin. And as we look back on our lives, we can be tempted to believe that, that we're kind of in the same boat as, as this cursed generation of Israel. So, so the, the, the temptation for us is to think, I've messed up, I've screwed up so bad. My life, I've just made willful decision after willful decision to go the wrong way. So, so God won't, like, he's not going to kill me on the spot, but my life is sort of, like, in this waiting period, uh, and I can just kind of hope to keep things steady, but maybe, like, he'll do something through my kids or through my legacy that will be better than what I could have enjoyed for myself. So, So, this is, sometimes we feel this, like, as parents, that, Man, I'm just sort of like, I reach the ceiling and I can't get any higher. Uh, and, and I just have to kind of bear the consequences of my sin in my life. But maybe for my kids, it will be better. And, and for those of us who don't have kids, there's other things that we substitute for that. Like, maybe I can help someone else to know who Jesus is. And maybe they won't make the same mistakes that I've made. But here's, here's the truth of the gospel for us who feel that temptation. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. So if you have trusted in Jesus, you are no longer cursed. You don't bear the penalty for your sin. You are new. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, it means that Jesus took your place on the cross and that you don't bear the judgment, the harsh reality that your sin deserves. You're not cursed to die in the wilderness and hope for something better for someone else. You are born again into a new life. The old has passed away. This isn't for someone else. This is for you. This, this, this isn't just for people who haven't messed up as much as you have. It's for you. And this means that whether you are young or old, you don't have to fear your past. And you don't have to fear your future. We don't have to carry around the harsh reality, the shame, uh, the regret, because Jesus has taken it away. And in the kingdom of Jesus, even even if our lives are short, our lives are infused with meaning and significance and value and so we can say with Moses, with all the people of God throughout the ages, verse 17: let the favor, let the blessing of the Lord our God be upon us and establish, confirm the works of our hands upon us. Yes, establish and affirm the work of our hands. I want to close. By reading something, this was written by a man named Dave Kraft. He is—he's um, been a pastor for like over like sixty years. Um, I met him about ten years ago, and he has just discipled like thousands of people. And he's written books on discipleship and leadership, mostly. He's worked through the navigators, uh, and it's just an incredible. Incredible man uh, in his marriage and his family and everything, just an, an example in every way that you can you can look toward. And, and so he posted this on his Facebook page this morning. He uses Facebook. Uh, he says, "Today is my 80th birthday. I am grateful to Jesus for allowing me to reach this milestone in my life. I'm thankful that I have good health, good energy." And some dreams and goals for the future. This guy is, he's so motivated. Uh, every minute, every hour, and every day is a gift from him. I don't know how many years I have left a year, five years, ten years, however I look at it. I'm most definitely on the last lap in my race, and I want to finish well. At age 80, I have probably already lived about 90% of my life, and this puts things in perspective for me. During 2019, the Lord led me to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1-8 through to focus on over the next several years. I have memorized this passage, and I'm spending time studying, learning from it, applying it, and I'm developing some teaching from it to share with leaders as opportunity presents itself. I am especially intrigued and motivated by what Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Whatever amount of time I have left by his grace and only by his grace, I want to be able to say with my last breath these same three things that Paul said at the end of his life. And I look forward to hearing Jesus say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And this is the privilege that we have when we follow Jesus, that we can actually look back on our lives with satisfaction. And not just for all the good things we did, but for the way God has transformed us and changed us and led us through incredibly difficult things, things that that we brought on ourselves or things that have happened to us. Even in that, we we can look back with a sense of satisfaction and significance about our lives, and we can look forward to however many days that we have left with hope I mean, you hear that in, in Dave's post that he wrote, that he's like, I want to continue pouring into people. I want to continue teaching as I have the opportunity. I'm going to keep memorizing Scripture, and I have plans, and I have goals for however many days I have left. He hasn't given up. He hasn't, he hasn't thrown in the towel. He's continuing to follow Jesus. And so as you reflect on this past year, Remember that you are defined by who Jesus is and what he's done for you. And as you look ahead to 2020, remember his promises. Remember his faithful love to you. He is enough for your yesterdays. He is enough for today, and he will be enough for tomorrow. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that this morning we've been given the gift of, of a life that means something. That we are not just dust, even though our lives are short in light of eternity, that we belong to your kingdom, Jesus. And that means that we will be with you for all eternity. And that the things that we do have value and have meaning. And that our lives don't have to be defined by our sin and the consequences of our sin and the regrets that we carry, but our lives are defined by who we are in you, Jesus. And I pray that, that as we reflect, that we could be honest and we could name the things that are, that are painful in this past year, and we can confess those things and, and we can talk to you about them, but they're not what define us. They're not... They're not the final word for us. And so as we look ahead, that we could do it in hope and we could do it in expectancy uh, and based in who you are, Jesus, and what you've done for us. Would you establish the work of our hands? Would you continue to give us hope to, to work, to labor, uh, and to live life with you, Jesus? And we pray it in your beautiful name. Amen.